the refinement comes from not what you're adding, but what you're taking away. So now you're really focusing on where it's being grown, who's growing it, how the grill is made, what wood you're using. You're focusing on not the normal sense of ingredients, but like the actual process instead of the actual item itself. Welcome to Uncooked, a podcast serving up raw insights for marketers as we hear the unfiltered truth from industry experts, brands, and the target audiences we serve in their own words. I'm your host, Jacqueline Lieberman, and today on Uncooked, I'm speaking with Daniel Sabia of the Wood Fire Food Company. I am so excited to bring you this interview today. His passion for incorporating Argentinian open fire cooking, conversation, and storytelling has transformed what we would call a traditional dining experience and created the definition of a buzz-worthy marketing plan. This season is devoted to pulling back the layers behind the brands that people love. And today, we're going to gain a deeper understanding of how word of mouth can probably be the best marketing engine of all. So let's dig in. So today on Uncooked, we are welcoming Chef Daniel Sabia, the founder of Wood Fire Food. And what's Wood Fire Food, you ask? It is a food full-service farm-to-table experiential catering and event production studio and they specialize in Argentinian-style open-fire cooking and design committed to supporting a regional food system. I am so excited about having him on the show today, being a foodie myself and also been experimenting on open-fire cooking. Not easy, by the way. But their mission is to tell stories and build memories around three simple ingredients, wood, fire, and food. Chef, welcome. This has been a long time coming, and I'm so happy to have you on Uncooked. It's a pleasure to be here. I'm super excited. Yeah. So before we dig into what Wood Fire Food is today and how you started, I really would love to understand your personal journey as a chef and that kind of led you to this moment and just introduce yourself to the world out there. I was fortunate enough to grow up in a household with a Sicilian, Sardinian, and Spanish family. So food has always been a massive mainstay as a part of life. It was like therapy. It was like communal. It was good days, bad days. Food always played a part in all of it. And it was about the table. It was about gathering. You know, there's only four of us. It's my sister, my mother, and my father. But my mother and my father, they've always kind of made things from scratch. Sundays were such a big thing at the house because there was no going to friends' houses. There was no going out. It was about starting a meal earlier in the day and kind of cooking through the day to sit down at a table with no television, no phones, none of that, just kind of conversing about the week. And it was like one of the fondest memories because it always was a place where everybody was equal. There wasn't any mother, father, brother, or sister. Everybody was a peer. Everybody spoke with one another. Everybody spoke honestly and open. And that was very much the starting ember of why this company is the way it is with something as simple as that, uh, which I thought was normal. And I thought that every household was doing that. But it, as I went over to friends' houses and experienced a lot of things, it was definitely the opposite story. So that was kind of the process from there. And I paid a lot of attention to it. It was a comfort thing for me. I dealt with a lot of insecurities as a kid kind of growing up. And food was kind of that one sort of comfort zone that made me feel like I was something. So I kind of followed suit with it right away. I was a dreamer always as a kid. You know, I wanted to be a drummer. I wanted to be a skateboarder. I wanted to be a snowboarder, a president, like all these things. And it's like week by week, it changed. But yep. food was kind of always that constant. So yeah, about 14 years old started and then and worked my way through mom and pop restaurants, small local groceries. And then I was about 18 or just about 18. And I started working in hotels, found myself through all of it. 
but still I was always this kid in the kitchen that was obviously always cooking staff meal for everybody because I had that like home style cooking down packed, but I never stepped foot in culinary school. So now I'm surrounded by all of these 10 year veterans in the kitchen that are looking at like, why am I even here? But food was just always that, that purpose for me. So it was a lot of focus on that. So at that point, you had not even been in culinary school as you're working in Starwood alongside of these big name chefs. Wow. That's pretty Now I went, went to technical trade school my last two years of high school, which I did cooking then. Got a touch more, I guess, formatted for it. And it was something that was kind of necessary because I had a learning disability where I wasn't able to process information just by reading it. I had to have it read to me and then my brain would like register it better. I was always very good at like making things with my hands. I was always building something, always making something with my hands. The technical trade school was kind of like my greatest way to finish my high school career still with a good GPA and, and really be able to focus on things like that and get on to the next chapter of life. And then I went to my first year of college and went to a community college here. And I think like halfway through the year, I turned to my parents and I was like, you can save your money. I'm not getting anything out of this. <laughs> so I just went to work and okay. I never stopped working. And then I just kind of woke up one day and realized that like I haven't taken a break at all from 14 to 28 at that point in time. Decided to just take a full year off. And I was living in South Salem, New York at the time. And I always had this kind of strange fascination with fire and, and kind of how it worked. I was a Boy Scout. I was always camping. I was always outdoors. There was no cable in our house. There was no video games. There was none of that. <laughs> it was just like, go outside when the sun sets, come back inside, dinner's ready. Right. Uh, one of those situations. So fire has always kind of played a part in my natural progression. So I started building. I got really into like woodworking. My whole father's side of the family is all tradesmen. And every time I was grounded as a kid, I was always going to work with one of them, which obviously was a punishment back then. But now I look at it as like, it was the best yeah. class I ever went to. So I started really focusing on woodworking. It just kind of was something that I can easily do and easily screw up. And then you could burn it if it's not right. And it's not really, uh, you know, you can find scrap wood anywhere to make something. And I had built this like coffee table slash like grill for this outdoor patio that I had. I built two full couches, outdoor couches. And it was just a place where friends would come over and I would light a fire in there. And as we were all sitting, talking and drinking, I would just start throwing vegetables on the grill. I would throw meat on the grill. And it was just about conversation. And then, of course, you know, through the power of social media, you start posting all these things. And then people you don't know start reaching out being like, how do I get involved with this? How can I like, is this a restaurant? What is this? So on and so forth. So we started kind of hosting people to come over and it would be four or five or six people and we would just cook meals and hang out and learn more about everybody else. And it was a very good growing process. I'm not sure if there's a better example of a natural business evolution than this. It's one thing to identify a problem and make it your mission to solve it but it's an entirely different thing to start doing something that you love and then have people ask you to let them pay you money for it. Amazing. When we as marketers talk about our company values and creating customer loyalty, we tend to focus on big cultural topics like diversity, for example, which is important, but it's really only part of the equation. What Daniel's done here is ground his business in the family value of conversation and connection over food. Coming up next is how these values then crossed over into an actual business plan. Through there 
is kind of how I got my, actually, I originally met Bill Taby, who was the last restaurant that I worked for. I originally met him when I was at the Bedford Posted. He would come there in the summertime because we had a completely outdoor open fire kitchen there that I was just, there was no real menus or anything. It was just the farm would come, they would drop off all their produce and everything was kind of a la menu. You pick up a piece of squash and you char it and you have a dressing made or an aioli or a vinaigrette and you would just glaze it in that and roast it and then serve it. And it was just this very sort of like simple gesture. This is simplicity. This is food. This is what food should be. Coming from so many years of doing nothing but like fine dining, you realize that you spend your whole life focusing on a single plate of food for someone to consume. The refinement comes from not what you're adding, but what you're taking away. So now you're really focusing on where it's being grown, who's growing it, how the grill is made, what wood you're using. You're focusing on not the normal sense of ingredients, but the actual process instead of the actual item itself. Right. So that's where the storytelling thing really kind of like built its step. It's like you're telling the story of the single produce. And then by the time I serve it to you, I no longer have interest in it. I'm on to the next thing. So I met Bill Taby then, and he came over for, you know, one of those dinners with his wife, and we made like fresh baba ganoush and naan bread and all this stuff. And it was just like a very intimate sort of moment. And then we had gotten to start talking, and this was before Jessup Hall had opened. So I swore to myself, I wasn't going back to restaurants, wasn't going back to restaurants, wasn't going back to restaurants. And then after a couple of conversations and a couple of drinks and eating, and you know, <laughs> this seems like such a great idea. So let's cook simple food. Let's be part of the empire that Bill has built because, you know, he is definitely one of the best restaurateurs in Connecticut as far as I'm concerned. I always laugh because working at his restaurant was the main reason why Woodfire Food got started. And it was because it was everything that I didn't want to do anymore. It was a lot of just like learning from one another and bashing heads and being two brick walls with one another and not letting each other give or take. And it was a lot of learning through that. But then I started to realize this was definitely not something that I ever wanted to be a part of. And I needed to just kind of figure things out on my own once again, just like it was back in the beginning. I need to do things on my own because I have all of these ideas and I don't know how to make someone else understand them. I only know how to do it my way. This was after you took your year off and started getting some attention on social media of like, what is this thing? And then you went to go work for him. And then you're now coming back to this kind of reckoning moment of I need to change something in my life. Yeah, it was almost two full years at Jessup Hall. I was there and it was like a slow deterioration, I guess, of my spirit and my love for what I did. And it got to the point where I wasn't even cooking at home anymore. I was ordering takeout. I went so far into it and I lost so much of myself trying to be the best that I could for someone else's project or someone else's restaurant, but never once was able to just do what I enjoy. I think it was October of 2018 is when we officially parted ways. And then my first event was November 6th of 2018. Oh, wow. I mean, it's one thing about going out on your own. But it's another thing to basically define this category as you're talking about, which is experiential catering and experiential dining experiences. How did you make that leap of saying, I'm going to do this and do it over live fire? In the most symbolistic form of it, I think it was the actual feeling of being at rock bottom because I had nothing. My relationship at the time had ended. I was dealing with a lot of internal emotions, which are causing people to be pushed away from me. Then I walked away from the job. So it was a lot of getting rid of, getting rid of, getting rid of. And I was left with only what I knew. And this idea that I never want to go back into restaurants, I never want to open a restaurant, I never want to be involved with it because it's lost its charm for me. 
I think every entrepreneur can really relate to the experience Daniel is describing. He found his business model from knowing what made him miserable and then created a business around doing the exact opposite. He liberated himself from fancy plating bound by four walls to perfecting simple cooking outdoors. Earlier in the conversation, Daniel had mentioned having difficulty communicating his ideas to others, which is a common problem among business owners, especially in the early days. When there's no team around, it's just you and your brain, it's really easy to lose sight of the business vision. But Daniel followed his true north, letting simple ingredients over fire tell his story. Restaurants were about experiences. The empowerment of those restaurants, one being the fortitude that they are, and two, that they're a never-ending experience, a three-and-a-half-hour, four-hour-long meal that you'll never forget, even if the food isn't the greatest thing you've ever had in your life. The service, the atmosphere, all of that plays a very large part in the actual experience because, as we said before, food gets digested and over the night and forgotten about, but experiences last way longer in that. And then I kept thinking back to my childhood and what did I remember most? I love my mom to death and everything else, but I remember her meals being some of the best meals I've ever eaten in my life. And then I started really cooking and then I went back to eat them and I was like, okay, this is not as good as I remember it. But it was the fact that it was a communal event. There was everybody who was good at one thing kind of came together. There was this idea of the table being this center ground for everything. It was an experience from start to finish to have a meal at home. Then I would think about going camping and lighting the fire. And even if it was just hot dogs, it was just a simple process of course, starting something from scratch on one end to finish it on the other end. And it's not just microwaving something or just heating something up. It's right. a process to build it. So that played a big part in it. I had a very intense love affair with interior design. Also, just kind of a silent hobby that I had. I've decorated every single home I've lived in, every single apartment. I have been collecting antiques and everything else since I was you know, 10 years old, going to flea markets with my father and everything else. So everything kind of had a purpose in my life and everything had a reason to be there, it told a story. And then the woodworking obviously played a part because I was like, okay, if I'm going to scale this back to the most primal art form of cooking over a fire, then I want to make literally everything from scratch. I'm going to make a table. I'm going to make a serving board. I'm going to light a fire. I'm going to go to a farm. I'm going to go wow. to a winery. I'm going to get everything from its base and bring it all together like a very sort of village mentality where everybody has a role. Your butcher, your blacksmith, your woodworker. It's the most purest form of bringing a community together where that table now becomes that sort of high tide that raises all ships together. So farm to table got so bastardized and so overused and so saturated. And then you have social media coming in, which is life is just about capturing a perfect dish. It's not about the moment of spending time with the person you're with. It's about taking photos, just being like, I was there. I did that. And then it also gave people the opportunity to start and rip apart restaurants for no reason at all, but their own yeah. personal tastes. So I was like, I am going to remove all of that from mine. You know, our first event, I, we collected phones from all 50 guests that showed up. There's no phones at the table. It was about being in a moment. And my first dinner was a total disaster. Tell me about your first event that November. It was November 6, 2018. It was at the Hickory's in Richfield, Connecticut. And I set a 50-person table inside of their barn. It was 42 degrees outside. I did everything on my own, everything. And I had, I think, 14 separate chefs that were kind of following the process, and they all started to show up. 
and I was able to pay some of them. I was able not pay some of them. It was just about all these people were like, you've talked about this for so long. You've been talking about it even on your last days of Jessup. Like, what's next? What's next? We just kind of like want to see this process. So yeah, we set the table and I had made all of these one-off rigs that I was just cooking on for the day. And I had a full cord of wood brought in and we broke down two whole lambs and we cooked beans from the farm and vegetables from the farm. And going back to that storyline, you know, Laura Mulligan, who was the livestock manager at that time and also a florist that I still use to this day, she was able to decorate the entire space with actually the diet of what the lambs are eating throughout the season. So we started with that and then the menu was very based off of that. So the first course was like their spring and then we kind of worked our way all the way through where you actually finish with the lamb itself. I had contacted a buddy of mine, Connor McGinn, who owns Connor McGinn Studios. He is a amazing ceramicist and a potter. And I found out what kind of clay he uses. And we focused on that clay was on the property at the farm. So we kind of used his plates and I started to like tie everything together. And the whole point of it was to create an atmosphere where everybody felt welcome. And from the first course, everybody was strangers. In the middle, of course, everybody was friends. And by dessert, everybody was hugging and embracing each other. And it was family. No one knew that there was no water on the table or water glasses. No one knew that there was no heat inside of it in the barn itself. No one really realized that there was no music. It was just conversation. The room was so warm and so welcoming. But it's actually like one of the first photographs I ever took of the space. And that photograph like changed the entire direction of this company. It's, it's I think it got, you know, it was like on social media, it got like 900 and something likes. And three days later, I started getting messages from Lodge Cast Iron, from other companies that are like, we would love to be a part of this. Do you do this anywhere else? We're looking to bring something like this to our area. Do you do any sort of consulting or anything like that? And I was just kind of sitting there in awe of myself and pure exhaustion (laughs) because it was like 60 hours and three days. And it was like I put my mark down. It was the first time that I started a process and I didn't let up until it was 100% done. Can we just pause a minute and please let's just imagine what it would have been like to have been in that barn. I mean, that just sounded magical. I've had great food experiences, but elevating food to stay focused on the story of the journey that it made prior to getting to the table, that's really something special. Humans are hardwired for storytelling, which is why the best marketers lean into brand stories so we retain the message. So there's three core tenets of a brand story to keep in mind. First, it needs to be true to the brand DNA. If it's not true, it's basically a fairy tale. It's not a brand story. Second, it must tap into an unconscious human desire, such as belonging, optimism, or even fear. But think about what your audience really cares about. And lastly, a good brand story elegantly conveys the unmet need you fulfill for people. That's it. That's the formula. Next, we'll hear how Woodfire Food evolves to a full-on event business, booking almost two years out. So I didn't have a website for the first year and a half of the company. I didn't have a headquarters. I was literally packing equipment inside of a Jeep Cherokee and driving around everywhere and setting up in people's backyards. (laughs) And the whole concept was about, I originally just wanted to be a public thing where I would do two events a month and I would sell tickets for it and people can come to me. And I would just set these dinner up, you know, no menus, no nothing, just kind of telling the story of like creating trust through people. And then obviously as guests started going, they're like, well, I have a big backyard and I have a big space. Could we do this here? 
catering and that mindset when I was still operating really high end kitchens, catering was like the last thing that was on my mind because right. I was like, no, that's selling out. That's this, yeah. this, that. And then as a business person, you look back now and you're like, well, without this catering, we can't do anything else that we did. And weddings were never an option. I have no interest in doing weddings. We did so many weddings at the Bedford Post Inn that it was just like a blacked out version of my life that I was like, no, I'm, I'm good. Yeah. I, don't, I don't need to do that. But then when I started really finding confidence in what I was doing and the power of saying no to everybody, if I didn't like what the situation was, I know I'm not doing it. Right. That's when I found this little niche and still to this day where you book a wedding with us and you don't really get to choose anything. We do the process from start to finish and we source everything, no matter where we're traveling to, from a 10 to 15 mile radius of where we are. The menus are 100% based off what's growing, what season right. it is. It's 100%. Like, I will give you an option of what proteins are growing within that area, but that's really it. I do everything from start to finish. And that was the only way that I was able to really push that forward. And I think we did 63 events this year, and about 30 of them were weddings ranging from 20000 to $70,000 weddings. And it was something where I just found my niche and I was able to continue this idea of being this platform for multiple separate artisans to come in and kind of sell their product through that or represent communities no matter where I travel to. We were doing all this stuff in the beginning. And then I think what changed was when restaurants reopened in 2020 and everybody went back and they were like, this doesn't feel good. It doesn't feel safe. It doesn't feel like anything. And I was like, well, we could bring a restaurant to your backyard. We could show up and you can invite your closest neighbors that you trust or your closest family. And we could set up two tops and four tops all over the backyard, keep everybody separated and do course out meals. You know, we just kind of kept okay. moving forward. And then I think 2020 is really when we did our first wedding. Okay. So it was like a 40 person wedding. It was 40 people on five acres of land. We would ring bells and the clients would come and pick up their meal and go back to their individual table. I transitioned with the time as I should have. We focused a lot on the product line that we have. You know, we make all of our own salts. We have smoked olives. We make all of our own vinegars. We sell those items. They're all based off of a 100% zero waste setup. And it was just figuring out what could work. It was just throwing things at the wall and being like, well, this this whole company has been just figuring it out as we go. So like, why is this any different? Right. And then, you know, we had gotten a lot of coverage through 2020 from continuing our path moving forward. And then we yeah. just got completely buried in 2021. When you say you got a lot of coverage, let's talk about were you doing any marketing, like real marketing where you were actually spending media dollars or was this all your owned and earned properties of Instagram and Facebook and your website? So in 2020, my partner right now, Nicole Samella, we had met each other, her husband, Chris Gonzalez, who used to own the Hoppa food truck, the both of them together. We had met and I was contracting her to help me kind of be a business manager as I started setting us. We had a couple of conversations. She's like, what do you mean you don't have a website? What do you mean you don't have a business account? What do you mean? Like all asking all of these like normal questions in her mind. And I'm like, I haven't had time. I've just been figuring it everything out. And I've always been a very like OCD, overly organized Excel spreadsheet. Everything has a checklist to it. So it was very even to kind of like put the information in place. But it was like the look of fear in her eyes. And I'll never forget it. Like the look of fear in her eyes. And she was like, I don't, I don't understand. Like, how are you doing all of this with no structure underneath you? And I was like, well, I just don't sleep and I don't stop. So when she came on board, that's the first time I think we invested in Google and we invested in getting the website put together and we invested in really creating a infrastructure underneath us to really help us grow and the business account and doing all of this and, and worrying about taxes and worrying about all these things, which were never really a process in my mind before because everything was very cash based and it was easy and it was fun. 
And that's what this year has been, is just about infrastructure and making sure that there is a process and a step up service for everything. She is insanely tech driven and computer driven and just about the new things that are coming out. And I'm very old world and old school. We never tell each other what to do or how to do things because none of us know what each other are doing. Right. But we cohesively work in this very sort of old and new way. And it's created this very intricate system where it looks very organic and aesthetically pleasing in the front. But like yeah. a business person walks into the background, they're like, oh, OK, this is a real thing. Yeah. Um, and then this year, too, we spent so much time focusing on infrastructure that we never did anything marketing. It's always been about the social media and the photos. We have a bank of probably 60,000 photographs from yeah. all of the independent photographers that have reached out to us and all of the weddings we've done and all of the public events we've done where people have been there. And I think for the first two and a half years, really, I was reposting the same six events over and over again because there was a hundred photos from each one. Right. So it was like, you know, we can just keep selling yeah. this out. And we haven't even started doing video yet. Your Instagram is a feast for the eyes. I have been following it now for a while and I love it because just between all of the images of the food, of the setup, of just the primal nature of all of your Argentinian grills and the coal and fire and all that. I mean, it's just amazing. Am I the only one ready to book a backyard dinner story? While Daniel's whirlwind success continues to grow, I think it's important to point out a few things that we could take away from his experience. First, all brand values are, well, they're valuable. They're meant to go out of the PowerPoint and actually be used to make real business decisions. Here, Daniel's company values are the equivalent to the human values that we can all relate to, like fostering conversation, creating one-on-one -on -one connections, embracing simplicity. Wood Fire Food's success is largely due to remaining steadfast to their raw truth of simple connection over food. I love that. Anything outside of that, he doesn't work on it. Secondly, here are two words to think about. Customer experience. Small words with a huge impact. As marketers, we need to really start any experience with the human need that we aim to fulfill. Daniel starts with the food's journey to the plate because his audience, they want to know that story. You might be thinking, well, it's easy to create an experience when you're talking about an event. Okay, I'll offer functional brands like Ember coffee mugs, for example. They start with the core need that we all have, which is to maintain a steady temperature of the beverage that we're enjoying. But it's more than that. Ember also taps into the deeply rooted satisfaction that we feel while enjoying a warm cup of coffee at the perfect temperature. So are you thinking about how you want to make your customers feel? Or are you thinking about what you're trying to sell them? That's really the core difference in creating a memorable customer experience. And finally, for those of us in the service business, how do you stay focused when your business grows at an unexpected pace? Well, use your brand purpose and your values to guide and prioritize your next step. If client requests are falling outside of what you believe is right for your business, which happens very often, take a beat and ask, will this project help me or my business grow? Is this part of my North Star or am I deviating from it? And it's really just a short-term money win. In our next episode, we'll learn more about how Woodfire Food is using user-generated content to grow their social media marketing plan. We'll also explore how Daniel is looking to grow while staying focused on the main goal of curating simple, elegant food experiences. I can't wait. 
This has been an episode of Uncooked. I'm Jacqueline Lieberman, founder and chief strategist at Brand Crudo, a marketing consultancy. If you want to discuss how your company can take advantage of any of these marketing concepts, such as brand storytelling, purpose, values, this is literally what I do every day. You can find my contact info on brandcrudo.com or the show notes. If you like what you heard, follow the show, share it with a friend. Thanks so much for listening.